Hello friends and welcome to a Tuesday afternoon session of Bill's Facebook study. This is uh, a, a live event at 3 p.m. on my Facebook page. If you're watching this a little later on my Facebook page or on one of our West Irwin Church of Christ pages, then uh, welcome to you as well. And I'm glad that you're able to uh, join in with us today. We're looking at the Daily Bible edited by F. Lagarde Smith in our Tuesday-Thursday Facebook studies. I am uh, sharing a few remarks on Tuesdays and Thursdays af afternoons about some of the things that we uh, share as we go through and read this. So I'm excited to be able to do this throughout the year. If you've never read through the Bible in a year, I encourage you to do that if you would like to use uh, the uh, F. Lagarde Smith uh, tool called the Daily Bible in Chronological Order. It is a great, great tool. And a week ago today, last Tuesday, on January the 4th, uh, I shared a lot about how to use that good tool and that good book. It's pretty self-explanatory, so you certainly can do that on your own. But I encourage you to find that at a bookstore or online, or you can uh, actually get it on Kindle and other electronic devices as well, and I encourage you uh, to do that. However, whatever tool you use, I, you need to read your Bible. <laughs> we all do. And reading through the Bible in a year is a great, great thing because it causes us to uh, look into some passages that maybe we wouldn't typically turn to if we were just, I think I'm going to try to find you know, something that interests me. Uh, the Bible is very, very interesting, and there's a lot that it, that's in there. Uh, that challenges us, including some of the passages that we'll look at uh, today. Of course, as we begin a, a chronological study of the Bible, reading through of the Bible, uh, you start in Genesis, and, um, and that's where we are. Here in the second week, we'll be there for about another week or so. I think Exodus starts on January the 22nd, so we still have a ways uh, to go uh, here in Genesis. Genesis is a, is a wonderful story. A lot of folks love uh, the, to read the book of Genesis because it is a, a it is a narrative it, it it reads like a storybook when we get to uh, Leviticus and the law uh, we might lose a few of you but hopefully not and uh, when you read through something uh, some of the difficult prophetic passages such as in Daniel or Revelation uh, those are a little bit harder as well very challenging but at the same time very very encouraging and that's actually why they're written and why they're written in the apocalyptic format. Um, in order to encourage those uh, who are needing that encouragement because they're going through such a difficult time of persecution. But we'll get there. That's not the lesson today. Today's lesson is found uh, in the book of Genesis. And uh, again, I'm excited to be able to share this with you. Uh, we're going to start with one of the uh, most wonderful moments in Abraham's life, and yet at the same time, just after that, one of the most uh, tragic uh, because today we find ourselves in, in Genesis 18 and 19, starting out there. And in Genesis 18 and 19, um, Abraham and Sarah are visited by three angels. They are, angels are typically described in mysterious ways in Scripture, and that's no different in this case. But there are three uh, angels, uh, some kind of presence. Some have even suggested that one of those uh, may be a, uh, a manifestation of the Lord himself, and that could very well be true. Uh, but as they're talking, uh, they come there with a great message of joy that Abraham and Sarah, in spite of their old age, in another year will have a child. They'll have him in the natural way, 
But Abraham is almost 100 years old, Sarah almost 90 years old at the time these angels visit them. And, um, and, and uh, they're very shocked and surprised because they've never been able to have a child. And as we saw last week in our readings, we know that uh, there, there's this great promise given to Abraham that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, and yet he hasn't had a child. And so uh, they try to have a child through Hagar, uh, Sarah's uh, uh, bond servant. And um, sure enough, Ishmael is born, and sure enough, he's the son of Abraham, but not the son of promise. And God says, yes, I'll, Ishmael will grow into a, a great a nation, many nations, many descendants, but he is not the one through whom these promises will be fulfilled. That'll be through, I, through Sarah. So now we see that the time is drawing nigh, and, uh, and they, they give them uh, this, this great, great message. And uh, because uh, they find it funny, and Sarah laughs, Abraham laughs, it seems, uh, they name the child, ultimately will name the child uh, Laughter. And that's the name Isaac. And we have a wonderful grandson named Isaac, and he is a joy and a delight as well. Uh, and we love him uh, dearly, as we do all of our children and, and grandchildren. And so they give uh, Abraham and Sarah this great, great message. And then God seems to wrestle with himself and say, should I hide this thing that I'm about to do from Abraham? Well, what is he about to do? He is about to go to Sodom. And, and the message is, its sin is horrible and, and depraved, and I am not going to put up with it anymore. I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot and his family actually live in Sodom. Uh, and so Abraham goes on this uh, interesting thing in the middle of chapter 18, where he kind of bargains with God, and he says, look, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Chapter 18, verse 25. And so Abraham says, suppose there are 50 righteous. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God says, no, if I can find 50 that are righteous, I won't destroy the city. So Abraham says, okay, how about 45? And then how about 40? How about 30? How about 20? Each time God says, sure. Finally, Abraham says, let me ask one more time. How about 10? And God says, if, you, if I can find 10 righteous people in Sodom, I will not destroy the city. The tragedy is he cannot. He cannot. And the sin that is described uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18 and 19 is a horrible, horrible sin. It's the sin of homosexuality. And as we saw in the story of creation, God created humanity, male and female, and uh, he blessed the, the marriage relationship uh, by saying, uh, for this cause a man, male, shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, female, and they shall be one flesh. And now in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, the uh, homosexuality is rampant, and uh, they're very cruel and very selfish as well. Um, so much so that when the angels go to visit Lot to try to warn him, the two angels, um, Lot has them stay in his home, and some of the men of the city, all of the men of the city come and start banging on Lot's door, saying, asking, telling him, to let those men come out so that they can have sex with them. And Lot, Lot tries to dissuade them, but they would not. And finally, the angels save Lot, and then they tell him, you and your family need to get out of here because we're done. We're done. And so they go, and unfortunately, Lot's wife turns around. Uh, and it's as if her heart is not quite left, 
and she becomes a pillar of salt. Jesus later in Luke chapter 17, as he's warning the people of his generation in the first century uh, to be watching for uh, the blessing, but also the punishment, the punishing hand of God. And when it comes to your city, when it comes to your area, uh, don't look back. Uh, you better head for the hills. Basically, this is where that, that statement comes from. They tell Lot to head for the hills. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember what happens when you try to have one foot in the world and one foot uh, at the cross. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, we are human beings and we live in this world that is true. But ultimately, as Paul says in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And when we're so in love with the immorality and the selfishness and the pride uh, and the lust of this world, uh, then we need to remember Lot's wife and uh, turn back around only to Jesus. Ultimately, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are destroyed with burning sulfur. And it is, it is a, a horrible a horrible thing. In fact, these words in Genesis chapter 19, um, beginning at verse 24. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord just the day before with these visitors from heaven. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Unfortunately, his wife had turned back and did not survive, but Lot's two daughters did. And also, unfortunately, uh, they, uh, because of their fear that their family will be ultimately destroyed as well, uh, they get their father drunk and have uh, children through him. And those uh, boys grow up to uh, be the, the people of the Moabites and the Ammonites, both of whom uh, become enemies of God's people, the Jews, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Um, and, and so again, from a very great, great, wonderful time to the time of destruction because of sin, we're reminded of God's love and God's mercy and his great gifts as we see Isaac being born in just a moment. But we're also reminded of God's judgment and his, his word, his word is eternal in the sermon on Sunday we looked at Isaiah chapter 40 and that great statement that says the, the grass withers, uh, the flowers uh, die away, uh, but the word of God endures forever. It's the word of God that we turn to as our guide and also as the center of the promises that our hope is built on. Um, and so in chapter 20, uh, we see how uh, Abraham continues on his journey. And just as he had lied about Sarah, uh, when he had had to flee to Egypt in chapter 12, he lies about her again, reported in chapter 20, uh, in the land of the Philistines. Uh, you say you're my sister, don't say you're my wife. And so this great man of faith doubts again and uh, finds himself uh, getting in trouble again, not just with God, but with uh, these uh, foreign rulers who say, why did you do this thing? And yet that God has kept them safe because they acted 
out of uh, ignorance. They didn't know. And, uh, and Abraham prays for them, and they are delivered. In chapter 21, Isaac is actually born. Abraham and Sarah have this son, the son of promise, Isaac, who would be uh, that one through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Um, and Abraham is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Sarah is 90. And ultimately, Hagar and Ishmael, her son through from Abraham, are sent away. And yet they're delivered by the Lord, and he provides for them. And Ishmael does grow up, has wives, and has many, many descendants as well, but not the son of promise. And, um, and we see uh, from this time forward, uh, except for one exception we'll read about in just a moment, uh, Isaac and Ishmael uh, are uh, at odds with each other, as are their uh, descendants. In chapter 22, after Isaac has been born, this wonderful son of promise, we don't know how old he is. Uh, we suspect that he's probably an older teenager, maybe even in his 20s. But in Genesis chapter 22 is one of the most perplexing passages that we read about. Uh, God tells Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him up to me as a sacrifice. And we, we can't believe it. We can't believe that God would do such a thing. And I, I, it's one of those things I can't explain either. But as the story goes on, it's apparent and evident that God does not intend to carry through with this, with Abraham's son. Not the same with God's own son. But with Abraham's son, Abraham goes off. Uh, Isaac, uh, you can just hear the sorrow in his voice and in Abraham's voice, the fear in Isaac's voice. Father, we have the fire, we have the wood. Where's the animal sacrifice? And Abraham in great faith says the Lord himself will provide. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Abraham ties his son up and, and when he's got the knife raised, um, God stops him and, and says, Abraham, Abraham and provides a ram that's got its horns caught in a thicket, and uh, Abraham finds uh, the ram and offers him up as a sacrifice uh, to God. Uh, there's a great statement made in, um, in the book of Hebrews, that honor roll of faith, when it's talking about Abraham, when it's actually talking about this very event. It says these words in, Abraham, in Hebrews 11, verse 17 and following. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So the inspired writer in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19, gives us a little clue that Genesis doesn't give us about what Abraham was thinking. And that is, that God could give me this son, if he makes me go through with this, he can raise him from the dead. And as far as Abraham was concerned, in this great act of faith uh, that James will refer to as well, um, Abraham did receive him back from the dead because Isaac was as good as dead. Abraham was not going to disobey his God, even though I'm sure it caused him great pain and hurt and wonder and anger and all of those things. Uh, God stopped him and he gave him his son. I like Lagarde Smith's comment in his daily Bible. He offers very brief commentary. Some of it is based on historical information that helps us to know the setting of what's happening and, and the time that it's happening in. 
But about this story, he says this, it's perhaps uh, because Abraham had begun to trust in Isaac rather than in the God who had provided his son. And that, that could very well be true. Could very well be true. Abraham, uh, of course, very protective of Isaac, very, uh, very much uh, seeing in him the fulfillment of God's promises and, uh, and perhaps trusting in that son rather than in the God who created him. Um, at any rate, uh, Abraham passes with flying colors, and God renews his covenant, and we're reminded once again that uh, God stopped Abraham uh, and kept his son alive rather than him facing death. But God, when it came to his own son, Jesus of Nazareth, for our sakes, um, God uh, did not come down and, uh, and save his own son. Um, okay, so we continue on. In Genesis chapter 23, Abraham's beloved wife, Sarah, uh, dies, and she is buried. Uh, she is 127 years old, and according to Lagarde Smith, Sarah has the distinction of being the only woman in all of Scripture whose age is stated. <laughs> so this thing about women not telling their age is not a new thing at all. It goes back 4,000 years to the days of Abraham and Sarah anyway. Um, so Sarah is 127, and Isaac is 37 when his mother dies. Abraham, uh, 10 years older than Sarah, is 137. And so Abraham goes through that uh, 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 bargaining thing in Genesis 23 and buys what is known as the Cave of Machpelah, buys the land that it's on, and that's where his beloved Sarah is buried. Later, Abraham would be buried there himself by both of his sons, Isaac and Ishmael. That one caveat uh, where there is uh, the tension is eased for a moment, but not for long. Also, Isaac and Rebekah would ultimately be, be buried there. We're going to hear about Rebekah in just a moment. And Jacob and Leah. Jacob is the son of Isaac, and Rebekah and Leah is one of his wives. Um, in Genesis chapter 24 is another one of those wonderful, amazing, uh, incredible passages. Um, and it's a, it's a great statement of, of faith. Abraham gets his uh, servant, and he tells him, I want you to go back to my homeland, back to uh, our family, and I want you to find a wife for my son Isaac. And, I don't, and the man says, well, what if she won't come? He says, then you're released, but by whatever you do, don't take my son there. My son stays here in this land that God has promised to give me, in this place where I have buried uh, his mother, my wife, Sarah. God will surely fulfill his promise, and he will bless your efforts. And so Abraham's servant goes on, and he uh, asks the Lord to bless his work, and he, he makes a deal. He, he asks God, dear Lord, I want you to help me to do this, and I want you to find this woman for me. And he lays out specific circumstances. When I get to this place, um, uh, she will come out and she will ask if uh, I, she can give me some water. She will water my camels for me, and, um, and she will be the one. She will be the one. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. And Rebecca comes out and does all of those things. And Abraham's servant asks who she is, and she tells him, and she is a, um, a going to be a relative of Abraham, a distant relative. 
and uh, and so um, uh, his servant blesses the Lord and praises God. And there's a wonderful moment. They ask her if she's willing to go, and she says yes. Uh, her brother and her father ask her, are you sure you're willing to do this? And she says yes. A great act of faith on Rebecca's part. And then we see this wonderful story when Isaac meets Rebecca for the first time in Genesis 24, uh, beginning in verse 61. Then Rebekah and her attendants got ready and mounted the camels and went back with the man, Abraham's servant. So the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev in the Southland. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. She took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her, and Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Uh, this takes place just three years after Sarah had died. Isaac uh, is uh, now 40 years old, and it's a beautiful story. But Isaac and Rebekah don't have children for a long time either. In fact, they don't have children for about 20 years. Um, and before the story of their children is reported, the story of Abraham's death is reported in Genesis chapter 25. Abraham dies at the age of 175. After Sarah's death, he had taken another wife, Keturah, who also had children for him. But we know very little about them because, again, they don't factor in to this story. They don't factor into this story about uh, God's promise through Abraham and Isaac, uh, not through Ishmael, not through Keturah's son, but through Abraham, Isaac, and then, as we're going to find out, uh, Jacob. Again, interestingly enough, when Abraham dies, it is Isaac and Ishmael, his two sons, who had been very much at odds with each other, uh, very jealous of each other, very uh, lots of history there, and, and lots of future there in conflict. But they together uh, bury their father, and it's a wonderful moment in Genesis 25. Um, later on in that chapter, in Genesis 25, Isaac and Rebekah do have children. They have twin sons, Isaac. This is 20 years after they've been married. Isaac is 60 years old. Abraham is still alive at this time. He's 160, even though his death had already been reported. Uh, but there are two sons. Uh, she has twins, and she doesn't know what's going on. And God reveals that there are two nations in your womb, two nations in your womb. And in, that, in those two nations, there will be um, a lot of conflict. And the younger one, will be the master. The older one shall serve the younger one, which is not the way of the culture of the time. Typically, not the way of our culture even, either. Um, but Esau and Jacob were born. Esau is a very hairy man, a, a reddish hair, and that's where the name Esau comes from, and the Edomites that are descendants of his, uh, similarly. And, um, and Jacob is, um, is the younger one. But Rebecca remembers all of this. And one day when Esau is out hunting, he was a man who loved to go out and hunt, kill wild game and come in and prepare it for his family, especially for his father. And, and one day he's doing that and he comes in and he's famished. And, and Jacob has some stew and he says, hey, how about giving me some of that stew? 
And Jacob, being a bit of a conniver and deceiver, he tells him, well, I tell you what, sell me your birthright and you can have it. Which is, a, of course, we wouldn't do that. But remember, they don't have McDonald's on every corner there. And so Esau despises his birthright, which was the, the given to the firstborn. He would receive the double share. He would be the son of promise in this case. But uh, God knew what would happen. And Esau uh, sells out his place uh, in his father's household for a bowl of stew. Uh, later on, we read more about how that's going to factor in, uh, but for now, we'll just promise that we'll look ahead to that. Um, in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac, uh, Abraham is, is, is dead. Isaac and Rebekah are traveling, and um, just as his father did, Isaac lies about Rebekah. They're distant cousins, but uh, Isaac says, tell them you're my sister. Don't tell them you're my wife or else they'll kill me so they can have you. And um, in the land of Beersheba, in the land of the Philistines, uh, Isaac does that. And, and um, of course, it's found out, and they, they make an agreement, and they, uh, they take an oath to each other to, um, to protect each other and to not be in conflict with each other. And they send Isaac and his uh, entourage away peacefully. And later, uh, at Beersheba, which is the, the place of the oath, the place of the wells, um, they build, a, they dig a well, and they also have an oath that is taken uh, between Abraham and Isaac and their descendants, between Isaac and the Philistine uh, leaders. And then in chapter 27, um, Isaac is preparing to die, and um, he tells uh, uh, his son, his favorite son, Esau, go out and hunt some game and prepare it like I like it, and I'll give you my blessing as my firstborn child. Well, while he's out, Rebecca, his wife, uh, uh, has a plan with uh, Jacob, her, her favorite, her youngest son. And she says, look, I'll, I'll uh, get some skin of some animals and we'll make you smell like your brother. Uh, we'll put some of their fur on you because your brother is hairy and you're smooth skinned. I'll prepare the meal and you can take it to your father and receive the blessing. And so Isaac does that. And Abraham, because he can't see very well, he calls, he says, well, the, the smell is the smell of my son Esau, but the voice is the voice of my son Isaac. So he has him come close and he smells him and he says, oh, the, I just love the, the smell of wild game and the outdoors that's on you and of this wonderful meal. And so he gives Isaac the blessing, uh, thinking he's giving it to Esau, but in God's great plan, it's exactly how it was supposed to be. And uh, he gives him this great and wonderful blessing that his brothers would serve him, that he would be uh, a, a powerful man with many descendants. And then Esau comes in and prepares the meal that he had killed and goes to his father. And Isaac says, wait, I, I, we already did this. And Esau says, no, that must have been my brother. He has deceived me once again. Bless me, my father. You can hear the, the pity in Esau's voice. Please, please, surely you have a blessing for me somewhere in there. And Isaac says, well, my son, I have blessed your brother, and he will be blessed indeed. I can't take that back. But he does give him a blessing, and it's a kind of a blessing because he tells him, you're going to be a nomad. You're going to be someone that's not going to find your footing for a long, long time. But he says, in your old age, uh, you will throw off your brother's yoke. And, um, and so he does have something positive to say, even uh, to um, Esau. 
Well, that's probably enough for today. We'll have another session on Thursday, and we'll see the story of, uh, of Isaac's uh, son, Jacob, and what happens to him. You think, wow, this guy is not a very good guy, and yet he's one of the heroes of Genesis. You're right. That's right. That's the thing about the Bible. It doesn't uh, portray the people who uh, God uses and who trust in God as perfect people. Abraham himself wasn't. And it's portrayed when during those times when he had serious doubts about God's protection in his life. But yet God used him. And God uses Isaac and God uses Jacob, as we'll see next time. As Jacob takes wives for himself, ultimately has 12 sons and a daughter. Ultimately, Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And through Jacob, Abraham, then Isaac, Abraham and Sarah, then Isaac and Rebekah, and then Jacob, and whose name is changed to Israel, and he has all those children and all those grandchildren and the descendants and the nation of Israel is beginning uh, to form. I'm excited about this study. I hope that these little uh, uh, studies are helpful for you. I don't expect them all to go as long as this one has. Maybe on Thursday we'll be able to cut it short a little bit early. But we do have a little bit more to talk about this week as we uh, look ahead uh, to the rest of the story of Jacob and, uh, and his sons, and especially uh, the important story of his son, uh, Joseph. I pray that God will bless and keep you in the days ahead.